0: you turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 10, that's where we're going to be today. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit different with our Names of God series. Instead of focusing on the name of God in the Old Testament for what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to instead focus on the name of God for Jesus. And the name of God for Jesus in this situation within the Scripture that we're going to go to is Yeshua Royai. And the reason that we're going to do it this way, instead of looking at the name of God in the Old Testament, that God is our shepherd, is because I've already done that. Last February um, 2015, I taught as God being our shepherd in our Knowing God series, and it was part of our mission and vision um, statement teaching. And you remember that was knowing God, loving each other, and serving our community. And in that, we studied Psalm 23, which is one of the most beloved chapters of the Bible, because it describes a God that really intimately loves and cares for us at all time. And that is why it is noticeable that Jesus himself took that imagery and put it onto himself, that he himself is also our shepherd. And in the video we just watched, we saw a visual representation of the word picture that Jesus is about to paint within the scripture that we're going to read. Showing that a word picture that shows the shepherd and the sheep interacting with each other and the care and protection and leading that is shown. So in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in in some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and will find pastor. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it in the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand will not is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so that when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing but the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And Father God, we just ask, Lord, that you just take today's scripture and apply it to our hearts to show us the love, to show us the tender mercy and care that you have for each one of us. Through your name, Yeshua Royai, show us a a glimpse of, of the kind of love and compassion and mercy that you have for each one of us and how we can see your hand guiding us through our lives. Father, do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' name in the Hebrew would be Yeshua. So Jesus described his shepherd as Yeshua Royai. And Jesus uses this Title to describe himself in several specific ways in the scripture that we just read. And the first point that Jesus makes here for us is that he gives his life for us. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Last week, we looked at the great test of Abraham. God told Abraham to offer his only son as a sacrifice and as a burnt offering. Abraham prepared to do as God commanded. He was obedient. He went 3 days toward Mount Moriah, bringing his son with him. And he journeyed to the mountains to the base of the mountain and he piled wood on his boy's back, and they went up to the place of sacrifice. And as Abraham's building this altar, Isaac asked him the question. Says, "Father, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb that we usually bring in and sacrifice?" And Isaac's answer points us to the future, to the awful choice that God Himself has to make in the future. When He said, Isaac, God Himself will provide the sacrifice for us. It reminds me of a story of a man who worked for a railroad and he ran one of the drawbridges over a large river like the Mississippi. And he'd raised the bridge when a large cargo ship would need to pass under it and his life was all about schedules. He knew when the trains were coming, he had an idea of when the ships were coming, and he he would make all that mesh so everybody could pass through safely. And one day his wife was ill, so he let his 10-year-old son come to work with him. The day was pretty routine and the next train wasn't due for at least 30 minutes, so he had just raised the bridge to allow a large container ship to pass through. And his son asked to go outside and, and watch the boats, and he said, that's fine, son, you just you go out here, you know that that big red line with the chain, you can't go past that, and as long as you stay right there, the fencing will keep you safe, and you can watch the ships go by. So he let him out, out there, and he's out there watching the ship, and the ship is almost clear of the bridge when he hears a train horn in the distance. And the man looks down quickly and consults his schedule and sees that the next train's a passenger train and it must be running a little ahead of schedule. So he can't see the train yet. It's around the corner, and he goes out to get his son back inside, and he can't find his son. And so he, he runs back in, and he looks down at the panel and hits the panel light to tell the train to slow down. And he hits the panel light and the panel light and the panel light, and it stays green. It doesn't turn red. So the train thinks it's, the bridge is just fine, and it's running at him at a very high speed. And he, he can't get the bridge to go down yet until he finds out where his son is and he looks around and he runs outside and looks down and he sees his son is down in the gear room where all the gearing is and he's shouting to his son get out of there get out of there i gotta lower the bridge but the machinery of the room is drowning out his voice and he sees the smoke of the train in the distance and he knows it takes at least two two minutes for this bridge to lower and there's probably hundreds of people on this train And so he's faced with this agonizing decision. Do I lower the bridge and let my son be crushed to death? Or do I let the people on the train be killed and running running over the top of the edge of the bridge and going into the river? You see, that's the same choice that God had to make for us. But his hand had to come down and lower that bridge and allow his one and only son to be crushed for us. You see, but not only did Yeshua Royat give himself for us by dying on a cross, but he continues to give himself for us. The Bible says that, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. It says that in Hebrews 7.25, and that's an amazing thing. You know, when people find out I'm a pastor, one of the first things they ask is for me to pray for them for something apparently pastors have the bat phone to god we can pick up the the phone and get right to the throne of god people people believe that there are 1-800 numbers you can go out there and call and and have somebody pray for you there's even web texting things you can do to have people pray for you if you go to the, one of the big tv ministries you can call in and send in 25 30 bucks and they'll send a a handkerchief to you that's been prayed out over by a pastor and Somehow that anointing will pass through the handkerchief like it did in Acts. The Catholic Church believes that asking saints to pray for, if you ask the saints to pray for you, that they'll pray for you. But do you know what? Jesus himself prays for you. That's an amazing thing to me, that part of the Godhead prays for me. That he is focused on making intercession to me. That he is focused on standing before his Father, the wounds in his hands still visible and interceding for us and saying, Father, have mercy because I have completed the work for them. That's an amazing thing for me. I have a a personal belief that one of the joys of heaven is that when we get there, God will turn us around and look backward through our life and we will be able to see all the mercy that he has given us. We will be able to see the invisible hand of God as He molded and shaped us through our life, and helped us to avoid the big cataclysmic falls that we could have happened. Or maybe that you know the car didn't start for five minutes, and we avoided the drunk driver that was swerving over a place on the way home. And we thought our whole morning was wrecked because we got to work late. Those little different mercies that that we see, I think we'll be able to see that once we get to heaven and praise God all the more. What a mighty God we serve, amen? We sang that this morning. The second thing that the name Yeshua Royai assures us of is that he protects us. Jesus said that I am the good shepherd. I know my own... And my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, we watched a video of how the entrance of the sheep pen was very narrow, generally only big enough for one sheep to get through at a time. The shepherd would then lay or sit in that opening so nothing could get to his flock unless it went through him. There is no way for wolves and predators to get over that wall unless they went through that gate where the shepherd was. Now by a show of hands, I just want to do a quick poll. How many people this week had the devil show up on their door and knock politely with his hat in his hand and ask permission to come into your house and mess with you for a while? Anybody have that experience? Jehovah's Witnesses and Salesmen don't count. Those are witnessing opportunities. Mormons too, they're witnessing opportunities, they don't count. Nobody had that experience this week? I, I, I didn't. <laughs> Nobody had that, that experience. So do you think that the devil, in this dispensation of grace, walks up to Jesus in heaven and asks permission to mess with you? Probably not. It only happened one time in the Bible, and that was a dispensation of conscience, so that doesn't count. He doesn't go through Jesus, he walks around the outside of the pen. He kicks at the rocks, tests the integrity. See if he can find just a gap that he can slip in to sneak in through your life. Maybe a little, a small crack in the, in the character of the structure that he can exploit and sneak into. Because he has he knows that he has no chance in going through Jesus at the gate. That's why Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he does, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Several of the people I work with at Black River Falls raise various animals on farms. And one lady I know is, is trying to raise chickens. She went out and she bought 19 chickens. And her and her boys are kind of raising them together as a family. They were showing them in fairs. They were um, collecting the eggs and giving them away to people at the hospital. And they're doing this as kind of a family project and bonding experience. However, over the last few weeks, slowly but surely, the chickens have been found either torn apart or just missing. She has them locked up, secured in a barn in a secure pen, but they've been going missing and, or being found torn up around the property. No evidence has been seen that the gate has been left open and they can't figure out what is killing all the chickens. Well, she texted me yesterday and she said her brother saw a big fat raccoon sneaking into the barn. I imagine it was pretty fat after 19 chickens. And and he was able to shoot the chicken, or not the chicken, shoot the raccoon. (laughs) Maybe that's where the chickens are going. He shot the raccoon and the chickens this morning, I guess, were safe. I don't have to explain to people around here, living where we are, how clever a raccoon can be. They can break in and out of just about anything that a person throws in front of it, can't they? It doesn't matter if you put that big rock on the garbage can, they'll figure out a way to get into it. I remember my family used to have rights to a hunting cabin up in the Schwalmigan National Forest. And I remember the work days I would go to as a kid that pretty much revolved around making sure that cabin was secure against raccoons and porcupines a little bit, but especially the raccoons. Because if you left one small gap in the fencing or in the reinforcement or the steel paneling, that raccoon will slip a claw in there and rip it off and end up inside the cabin. And then you walk in during hunting season, all the canned goods would be shredded, your mattresses would be shredded, there'd be scat of raccoon everywhere and your hunting trip would be pretty much ruined at that point the devil's the same way he's walking around the sheep pen of our souls he's testing the rocks seeing how firm they are seeing how well they're cemented in seeing if there's a gap that he can slip a claw into and pull that out so he can reach in and get to you That's why the scripture says the devil is a roaring lion searching to and fro for whom he may devour. He's constantly probing, constantly looking, testing the resolve of the walls that you've built in your own heart. Looking for that one little slip and one little crack that he can slip that claw into and access your mind and heart. You see, the enemy doesn't just necessarily need a gaping hole. That's where we're wrong in our thinking. And and the fact that we don't have these gaping holes in our life makes us relax and makes us compromise, saying, well, just a little thing is just fine. But he just needs to be able to get his hand in there. If you're sitting right up against that wall, his hand could come in and (coughs) just choke the life right out of you. He can use that weak spot to cause pain, to take your eyes off of the shepherd that's guarding the gate, cause you to lose faith in his protection and his provision. And then he has you. The thief only comes to steal, to kill, or to destroy. And when you feel those probes of the enemy, when you feel the devil kicking around the gates of your heart or kicking around the parts of your spirit that you know are a little bit more vulnerable to him, Be a sheep. Be a sheep. Just bleat a little bit. You know the old saying, when the devil comes knocking at your door, ask Jesus to answer it? Ask Jesus to answer that call. There is nothing wrong with that. He wants you to do that because he wants to come with his staff and lay some serious hurt on that predator at the gate. And that's what the third thing is about the name of Yeshua Royai. Jesus our shepherd, and what it teaches us is that he leads and he guides us. And for this part of the message, I'm going to go back to the 23rd Psalm that says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." I brought my staff that was given to me by Larry last year. You remember when I was installed, he gave me the plaque, and then he gave me my official staff at District Summit, and use it to kind of illustrate the rest of this uh, message. I found, and talking to people who are shepherds, that being a shepherd, they say, is a fairly hands-off job for most of the job. Most of the time, the shepherd just has to walk in front of the sheep, and the sheep follow the shepherd. That's the way it's supposed to be. However, sheep being what they are, they mostly walk around with their heads down, grazing, going from grass, blade of grass to blade of grass, and they're just going to keep their heads down and keep feeding as long as there's grass in front of them. They'll never look. I mean, I've had shepherds tell me that a, a wolf can pretty much lay down like a cartoon and let the sheep walk right into its mouth. They'll never see that wolf there. They'll just keep eating and go right into that. So occasionally, the shepherd has to take his staff and just kind of tap the sheep on the side of the head once in a while and just kind of get it going in the right direction. It's not, you know, baseball bat swing and hit. No, it. just tap, tap. Just keep them going in the right direction. Occasionally, though, sheep are a little stubborn. Individual sheep are a little stubborn. So he'll tap the side of the head and try to redirect them, and the sheep will sit there and <laughs> kick back against it. So then the gold has to come out. On a real shepherd's staff, this would be a sharpened end. So the shepherd would come down to the other side of it and just give it a good jab in the side of, the, in the side of its flank there. And that's usually enough, generally, unless you have a very, very stubborn sheep like us German Norwegians. We're going to go back and we're going to kick back against that gold. And that's what a stubborn sheep will do. They'll kick back against that gold. No matter how many times you, you thrust that sharpened end into its side, it's going to kick back against it. And it's going to keep going in the wrong direction. Remember in the Bible, who kicked against the golds? Somebody is, Jesus told that of somebody. He said it is difficult for you to kick against the golds. That was Apostle Paul. God had been trying to tap him in the head for for years. And then he, he kept ignoring him, kept ignoring the Holy Spirit in his life. So God would just try to jab him. Stephen's death was probably a big jab. And yet he couldn't get through to Paul. So Paul had to get knocked off his high horse. And that's where he had to come with the hook. The hook end is used for two reasons with the sheep. The first one is to you know, the sheep that's about ready to walk into the wolf's mouth, grab it around the neck, put it back into the flock. It's also used for rescue. As I said, these sheep will will keep walking and fall into a pit, so they could come up, hook up a leg, and pull them back out of the pit, put them back with the flock. So you can imagine that a sheep who has resisted the tap and resisted the gold isn't going to like this around their neck and putting them back in there. But that's sometimes what Jesus has to do with each one of us. You see, as a shepherd, that's how a shepherd uses a staff to lead his sheep. But it also outlines how Jesus leads us. You see, Yeshua Royai will use these gentle taps to make sure that we stay on the path that he's chosen for us. And on that path, that he has chosen for us, there is great blessing, great protection, and great favor of the Lord. But if we butt our heads against those those taps, Jesus will turn to the gold. And sometimes he has to allow pain to get our attention. Sometimes we ask why we're in the situations we're in, and we could instead ask God, God, what are you trying to say to me in this situation? Maybe it's something you've been rebellious about. And if we kick against that gold, Yeshua Royai has a choice to allow us to fall into the pit and then pick us back out of it with the hook, or to use the hook to painfully grab us and toss us back into the sheepfold. But both of these are loving acts by our shepherd. Amen? I don't know if you know this, but the word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen, which means shepherd. And this word defines my whole ministry philosophy of how I interact with you as your pastor. As I said, I think being a shepherd is pretty much a hands-off job. My job is to pray for direction and then lead and hope that you follow me. I consider the taps that have to be done as a shepherd as a teaching ministries in the church. Wednesday nights are tap-taps. Sunday morning uh, Sunday school is a tap-tap. This sermon is a tap-tap and occasionally might be a little bit of a gold. Most of the time, that's all is needed. Keep you in prayer and let God have his way with you. The golds are the more personal interactions when an issue is identified. And then mentoring is in order, either by, the pa- by myself personally or the pastor in the eldership of this church. Sometimes the eldership has to mentor me in something. And the hook is the rest of the church body. When the taps and the golds don't work, we involve the whole church family at that point. And the goal is restoration, not punishment, not embarrassing people, it's restoration. We want people to be restored to where they need to be with Jesus. And the final point of Jesus being our shepherd is this. The same staff used to lovingly guide sheep and this is what matters to each one of us right now who might be going through some stuff. The same staff that can lovingly guide sheep can also drive back a predator. This staff is a weapon in, a, in, a, in the hands of a man that knows how to use it. You see, this same tap that gives guidance, if I wind up with this thing, it's going to cause some hurt. That same gold I used for direction, if I thrust hard enough, is going to impale a predator. If I take this staff and instead of gently pull and place, if I grab, yank, and twist, it will break a neck. That's how a shepherd would use it to defend their flocks. And that is how Yeshua Royai acts as our shepherd. I want to praise him this morning. Amen.